this video jailbreak is so low budget. It's them standing in the rubble of a prison and they're, it looks like a 13 year old boy did the pyrotechnics and they're so serious about singing about breaking out of jail and it's ridiculous and they look <laughs> ridiculous. I'm Nick Harcourt and welcome to another episode of The Sound of Success, the podcast where we talk with movers, shakers, and just plain cool people about music. Joining us today on The Sound of Success is a first for the show, our first comedy writer. That's right. Alex Scordellas is a TV and film writer who has written on the cult favorite and deeply funny Billy on the Street, starring Billy Eichner, as well as Hulu's Difficult People. Also starring Eichner and the hilarious Julie Klausner. Most recently, he's written for Randall Park's talk show on Roku, the show next door. Scordellis is also a journalist and leans towards music as his beat and has written profiles on Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon and Wilco's Jeff Tweedy for the LA Review of Books, as well as many features and cover stories for Paper Magazine, where he wrote a profile of Courtney Love, uh -huh, in which she famously professed to our guests that she was addicted to cheese, not drugs. Hmm. Well, we'll get back to that one. Alex, you live in Eagle Rock, right on the other side of the valley from me here in Los Angeles with your son and wife, Melissa Seeley, also a writer. And my producer, Elizabeth, tells me that since moving to Eagle Rock, you have joined a top secret music group for dads. What is this group? What do you talk about? Why is it a secret? I can keep a secret. <laughs> well, hi, Nick. First of all, thanks for having me on. And yes, over here in Eagle Rock on the other side of town, I am a member in a... It is a secret dad's music club. I was actually inducted into the group before I was a dad, but it's a group of neighborhood dads. We get together once a month. Um, before the pandemic, we would gather in somebody's basement and the host of the evening would pick a year. So if the year is 1973, every dad is responsible for bringing in one song from that year. Right. And we sort of drink beer, eat pizza, go around, play your song and talk about the song that you brought in sort of like a book club for songs yeah but for and, guys who eat pizza and drink beer and don't want to read a book uh even though <laughs> i do love to read i do love to read nick but it's been a wonderful way to learn about new music people bringing in different things that i haven't heard of from all throughout the years and during the pandemic we've stopped meeting in person in basements but uh interestingly we've been meeting up at night in the Rose Bowl parking lot and we'll circle our cars. <laughs> Hang on a minute. What kind of meeting is this? <laughs> Meet up in the Rose Bowl parking lot, circle up our cars, and one of the members has a radio transmitter. So he will transmit the song. So you don't you don't have to leave your car. You can participate from the comfort of your car and sort of text your notes to the group. And we've carried on strong throughout the pandemic. But that is wow. the Top Secret Dads Music Club. I like your innovation there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, I hear that you're also part of a, a Neil Young cover band. So I don't know, more secrets? Can you tell us the band's name? Sure. Yeah, this one is not a secret. We're called the Cinnamon Boys, and it's a Neil Young cover band. We've been playing since 2017. And it's yeah, a writer named James Rickman. He sings and plays guitar in the band. Josh Lucan, who also lives here in Eagle Rock, a wonderful musician, is on bass. And I'm on drums. I'm not a great drummer. I'm more of a guitar player. I've played in... Uh, guitar and bands throughout my life but in this band i'm on drums and we only play neil young songs and it's a, such a blast to play music just for fun with friends especially songs like neil young's that's amazing and obviously you haven't been out, able to play out but have you have you been able to do any kind of shows from home or like getting together on different parts of a, a zoom deal yeah we've done a couple shows 
shows in quotes in my backyard over Instagram live where we'll set up our gear in my backyard and broadcast it on Instagram. And uh, we are actually playing this Sunday. If you're driving around in Eagle Rock, we'll be playing on my driveway. So nice. roll down your windows and we're pretty loud. So you'll be able to hear us and look for us if you're, <laughs> yeah, if you're driving around Eagle Rock, just listen for us. Yeah, just wind the windows <laughs> down. So out, outside of uh, all, all this fun stuff, what have you been up to? What else have you been doing this last year or so? Oh man, so yeah, like you mentioned uh, a couple profiles for the LA Review, Review books, one on Kim Gordon, which I actually interviewed her in the first week of lockdown. So it was a very unusual interview, very strange time to be interviewing somebody. It was supposed to be an in-person interview. She was supposed, Kim was going to very generously speak at a fundraiser for the LA Review of Books that had been canceled. And mm. she also canceled our interview. And I reached out to her and I said, I have, there's nothing else going on in the world right now. Why don't we just get on the phone right. and talk? And she's like, that sounds like a great idea. So we talked for a couple hours on the phone and about her whole life and how she was dealing with life in the early stages of the pandemic not knowing at that point that it's going to be last for more than a year and beyond. And then the, uh, the other profile I wrote was on Jeff Tweedy, who um, published a book during the pandemic called How to Write One Song. It's a wonderful, slim volume about his creative process. And that can really speak to anybody who's creative and trying to create more, get through any sort of writer's block. And I read the book and I wrote a song based off his methods. And I spoke to him about how, how it went for me and it was a lot of fun to talk to him too well i want to talk a little bit about music as you know that's the focus of our podcast so why don't we just jump straight into it what is your first musical memory when i was a little kid when my mom would go leave and leave me at home with you to go to the grocery store i would go straight to the record player and pull out her copy of meet the beatles and put it on the turntable and i just loved to dance to uh I saw you standing there and Hold Me Tight was probably my favorite song on that album. It's like being probably four years old, knowing how to put the record on and dancing alone in the house to meet the Beatles. What, what was it about? That? I mean, obviously you'd heard that record played in your house. What was it about that record that made you want to play it when there was nobody else around? Just dancing like crazy. I think letting loose, there's something about the early Beatles that just makes you want to dance. And it's interesting in the past 24 hours, I'm seeing it in my two-year-old. I was driving my two-year-old day before yesterday, I want to hold your hand came on the radio and he's just learning how to talk, but he could instantly sing along with that song because he is into the concept of holding hands with me and my wife. And so he clicked with that song in the past 24 hours. All he wants to do is listen to that song. And I've listened to it about 40 times in the past day. <laughs> so it's, I'm going a little bit crazy listening to I want to hold your hand over and over and over. But it's there's something magical about the Beatles that clicks with you at a very early age. It's interesting. I've shared this on the podcast before, so I won't go into detail on it. But yeah, my, my first musical memory is the Beatles. But for me, it was the parents dancing around. I was so struck by the enthusiasm and the happiness and the smiles of my parents dancing to this music. And it just never left me. And it sounds like the same for you as well. And now you're passing it on. Absolutely. Yeah. I, knowing that my parents also loved it so much, connected with me. I'm 100% Greek and my mom, when she was a kid, she told me she had wall-sized posters of the Beatles in her bedroom. And when my very Greek great-grandmother would come over, her mother would make them take them down because like <laughs> too, too risque to see giant photos of the Beatles. But it's been something yeah, through the generations yeah. in our DNA at this point. It just clicks with you. And, and then I'm presuming put the posters up after grandma left. Went right back up. <laughs> what was the first music you bought 
with your own money? I remember this like it was yesterday. I was 11 years old. My mom took my sister and I to a store called Music Plus that was in Cupertino, California, very close to where Apple headquarters is now. It was much smaller mm. then, surrounded by orchards, which are no yeah. longer there. And I remember my sister bought the single for a song called I Love Your Smile by Shanice. And I bought Nevermind by Nirvana. And so I was 11. And it was 1991. I was in the fifth grade and Nirvana clicked with me at age 11. I knew that this was my music and bought it and listened to it uh, on repeat over and over and over for the next few years. It's interesting as well, you know, when you were talking about the Beatles at the beginning and Beatles just had a huge influence on Kurt Cobain as well, which nobody really knew or understood at the time, but you can hear it in the songwriting. Yeah, it has that connective tissue between the two, just so catchy and such an emphasis on melody and simplicity. Since I've been listening to the Beatles, my son in the past day, I've been playing I Want to Hold Your Hand on guitar and just like the perfection of the simple chords is something that is a link between the Beatles and Nirvana. Just really simple, beautiful music. Just out of interest, did you see the Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney documentary on Hulu in the last couple of months since it came out? I did. I watched it in one sitting. <laughs> it's stunning, isn't it? I would recommend it to anybody. If uh, You don't have to be a Beatles fan. It's just rather amazing. I was jealous that uh, Rick Rubin was doing it, but after I saw it, I was like, well, you were the guy for this, obviously. Yeah. My takeaway from that, the thing that I keep thinking about from that documentary is there's, I forget which song they're talking about, but McCartney saying he instructed like a piccolo flute player to hit a really high note. And the piccolo flute player is like, I can't hit that note. And McCartney is like, no, you can. And he did. And just the Beatles yeah. having that confidence yeah, and asking for the impossible to happen and pulling it off. Yeah, uh, it comes it's up a few times. Yeah, It's unbelievable. By the time they got into like 1966 or something, they were just doing whatever they wanted to and nobody would stop them, which is pretty and, fantastic. Yeah. And pulling it off too. Uh, yeah. Really remarkable. Yeah. Great, great series. What about live music? What about your first concert, first concert you went to without adult supervision? So I have a couple of answers here. One, the first concert I went to, I was 13 and I saw Rush and the Melvins were opening. And wow. I was not a big Rush fan, but a friend's older brother had tickets and we went along. What kind of venue? It was at the San Jose Arena. So hockey arena. Big. Big arena. I do remember the Melvins from up north they opened and they got booed off the stage the first band i ever saw got booed off i think a little too weird for the rush crowd yeah and then i had seats very high up and at 13 i was not that familiar with marijuana but just a cloud of smoke rose and was yeah. hovering up at our level right we were sort of in that uh, fog contact uh, high contact high the first show yeah, and nice. but so that was my first show. But then shortly thereafter, Nirvana, who I loved at that age and still do, were playing at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Mm. And I asked my parents to let me go. But it was on New Year's Eve and I was like 12 or 13. And they said no. And my dad said, you can't go to a concert of your choosing until you go to five concerts with me. Uh -oh. So at 12, 13, my dad took me to five concerts that year. And with him, over the course of a summer and fall, I saw Johnny Cash, Little Richard, Bo Diddley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and also the Beach Boys. Well, and not OO at all. That's amazing. I saw those five groups, artists in the course of a couple months, didn't get to go see Nirvana, <laughs> which is fine. But the trade-off was I still have such strong memories of seeing Johnny Cash and Little Richard and sitting close up in a small venue and being really blown away. So that was a, a wonderful musical education that I'm always grateful for, to my dad for that. 
unbelievable opportunity, obviously, as a, a young teenager to go see those kind of artists who you just you wouldn't have done unless your dad took you or somebody sort of, you know, suggested that this was something you might want to check out for your musical education. I was not a country music fan at all until I saw The Highwayman, which obviously yeah. you know, features Johnny Cash along with all those other great guys. And that was a third eye squeegee for me to see somebody like Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and uh, who was it? Chris Christopherson and, and, and Willie Nelson, I think as well, just stunning to have your eyes and ears opened by somebody just saying, take a listen to this, take a look yeah. at this. You talked about dancing earlier on, mm -hmm. uh, and I know you like dancing to the Beatles. My question is, uh, what do you listen to when you want to dance? So aside from the Beatles, if you feel like dancing, what are you going to throw on? Probably James Brown, I think. James Brown or the JBs, his backing yeah. group, had that song, uh, Giving Up Food for Funk, which always, <laughs> always get me dancing. I, uh, feel, I, feel, I feel like I should be saying, ow. <laughs> that's the word. With Did it make you James feel good? Brown. Oh, yeah, yeah, I feel good. That's got to go on the turntable if it's going to turn into a dance party. Let's flip the coin. What do you listen to if you're feeling a little melancholy, a little sad? Well, if I'm feeling a little melancholy, I usually, to make myself feel better, kind of get nostalgic and I'll listen to music that I loved as a kid, which probably for me, the band I loved the most as a teenager was a group called the Mr. T Experience, who were on Lookout Records out of Berkeley. And they're kind of more of a pop punk band, but they did have an album in the late 90s called Alcatraz that is a little more melancholy. And in high school, I probably saw the Mr. T experience maybe 30 times. I was like basically wow. a, a deadhead for the Mr. T experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, they have a song called Perhaps. I, I think perhaps off the album Alcatraz. Okay. The Mr. T experience. I, I remember the Mr. T experience. I don't remember the music, but I was working in alternative radio back in the 90s. So I know it was coming across the desks. I, I can't say that I remember it, but I'll check that one out. They were very like influential to Green Day. They were one of the first bands on Lookout and they sort of have that early Green Day sound. And Got it. Yeah, they're a really cool band. We just added this question a couple of weeks ago and it's a good one, I think. Do you have a favorite music video and why? I think I do. I think when I was in college, I bought uh, a DVD of all of ACDC's music videos. It's a double DVD called Family Jewels. And early ACDC, there's a song Jailbreak. And it's one of the funniest videos. And I always find myself going back to it, working in comedy. Bon Scott era ACDC never fails to make me laugh. And <laughs> Why? It's this video jailbreak is so low budget. It's uh, them standing in the rubble of a prison. And they're, it looks like a 13-year-old boy did the pyrotechnics. It's just like these little cherry bombs going off around them. Got it. And they're so serious about singing about breaking out of jail. And it's ridiculous and they look ridiculous. And uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of an ACDC snob and that uh, after, after Bon Scott, I don't like any ACDC. You are a snob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, kinda, after he died. Yeah. <laughs> all their big hits came after that. But I love early ACDC videos. They're just really funny. As you started describing the video, I'm remembering it now. It really was ridiculous. They're so earnest. And it was clearly like they're just standing around some piles of rocks, which is pretty funny. Yes. It's funny you should say that. I was I, I, My favorite old ACDC t-shirt from 30 years ago finally gave up the ghost. And I was online looking to try and get the same one. And of course, you can't. So, you know, I'm a snob about my ACDC t-shirts as well. And in sort of those late nights during the pandemic, I often find myself scouring eBay for ACDC t-shirts. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, the thing I love about ACDC, I lived in Australia for a while as well, but growing up in England when they first came out, it was just so, so massive in our little heavy metal world that I grew up in. And as I've sort of gotten older, 
I don't play ACDC on the radio. It just never really fits into my radio show. But when I'm on Pacific Coast Highway, highway to hell, you just throw that on and away you go. Absolutely. And I, I was, it's funny what made me revisit ACDC. This is probably when I was in college, I read an interview with the guys in Pavement and they were obsessed with ACDC videos. Pavement, another great music video band, really funny videos. But yeah, just that like meat and potatoes rock sounds so easy, but like harder to play than you would think. Do you have a recent musical discovery? The, it doesn't have to be a new band. If it is, that's great. Or new artists. It could be somebody you just weren't aware of until, until recently, but a discovery that you'd like to share with our listeners. Yeah. Through this top secret dad's music club, one of the dads brought in music by an artist named Terry Allen, who's an outlaw country singer. He has a great album called Lubbock on Everything that I think was recently reissued. And yeah, his music just connected with me in such a big way. And I, he, I, I think up until I forget when he taught art at CalArts, he's like a renowned sculptor also. So he sings this like badass outlaw country, but he's also a, a painter and a sculptor. And someone told me that he has a lot of sculptures, public sculptures in downtown Los Angeles. Interesting. But his album, Lubbock on Everything, and there's a song there, Amarillo Highway, just really badass country music. It's All right. fun, well, I'm fun gonna... to throw on. I'm going to check that one out myself. How do you discover music these days? I mean, how do you get turned on to new music? A lot of times through this Top Secret Dad's Music Club and then also the radio. I'm still a big radio listener. Um, yeah, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. There's a radio station up there, KSCU, that I listen to online, KEXP up in Seattle. Los Angeles has wonderful radio all the time. So a little bit of both. And also, weirdly, Instagram, if I follow an artist that I like, Usually they'll link to another artist they like, and I'll go down a sort of rabbit hole that way. And there's a new singer, Faye Webster, I think is her name. Um, mm, yeah. Another artist I like posted her recent album. And so yeah, just like flipping through Instagram stories or things like that, I'll, I'll find stuff that way. Yeah, Faye with an E on the end of it. I've heard her. She's, uh, she's out of Atlanta. Do, are you somebody who does sort of disappear into the rabbit hole of Spotify or any other streaming services? Do you listen to music on streaming services? I do. I listen to um, Apple Music and it's, I do listen to it, but like it, sometimes I feel a little bit guilty because the algorithm knows me so well and I can't find a way out of the box of stuff I already like. Oh, right. <laughs> so I, I'm always like on a hunt to find new stuff. And I feel sometimes like those streaming platforms can box you in sometimes, but I do listen to um, Apple and yeah, usually if I'm walking the dog, it'll be like, it'll show me my, my favorite song playlist and I'll, I'll listen to that. Do you still get vinyl? Do you still get CDs? I've always been a vinyl guy. When I turned 15, uh, my parents gave me a turntable. It's the one I still use. Wow. Back then, vinyl records were cheaper than CDs, in the, at least in the punk community. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. When they first bought CDs out, they were like 20 bucks or something ridiculous. Exactly. CDs in the 90s were like 1899, and the same record on vinyl was like 1199, at least for punk albums. So I'd always buy Stick with vinyl. vinyl. Yeah, yeah. And now it's kind of, it's vinyl's the most expensive thing. But uh, yeah, I still buy records uh, all the time. Do you have an artist or a band that you love, but you feel they never quite got the break that they deserved or that you thought they would get, should get? Yes, there's a band. And this is so weird. There's a band called the Kent Three, K-E-N-T Three. And they have an album that I bought when I was in high school called Peasant Music. And I would rank it in my top five favorite albums ever. 
but I know nothing about this band. I can't, they're not on any streaming platform. Nobody's uploaded this album to YouTube. I know the singer's name is Viv Halogen, I think, but I can find nothing on them. I've searched and it's so strange. This is one of my favorite groups of all time and I know nothing about them. <laughs> I don't know how to direct people to find their music other than maybe look on eBay for this album, Peasant Music, but the album blows my mind. It was on a label called Super Electro Records that I think was a label run by um, Steve Turner, the guitarist from Mudhoney. Right. I see they're from Washington, Bellingham. Yeah, and... but a very mysterious band. I've never seen a photo of them, I don't think. There's no photo on the album. There might be one online. All but right. the, well... the Kent 3 is worth checking out if you're looking for something cool. You're definitely giving us a, a couple of ideas here. You're giving me a couple, and that's really interesting. I'm going to go check. I've heard of the Kent 3, but I don't know <laughs> anything about them, so I will yeah. be checking into that. Do you have a band or an artist that you would describe as a, a guilty pleasure? I think these days, most of us are quite happy to reveal our guilty pleasures. But do you have somebody that perhaps you were a little bit embarrassed about and now you can just come out and say? No, this is one that I probably still feel guilty. I don't really see myself as having guilty pleasures. But one that I think I do feel weird about is that my son, being a toddler, loves this artist called Casper Baby Pants. And Casper Baby Pants is this guy, Chris Ballou. He was the singer of the band Presidents of the United States of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were from uh, up uh, Seattle as well, right? Yeah, and he has a new career where he's now Casper Baby Pants. And there are these surreal children's songs that I will find myself listening to, like when my son is not around. I'll like, I'll put on. <laughs> he has a song called Butterfly Driving a Truck. And I'll listen to Butterfly Driving a Truck without my son. I feel guilty that I'm listening to music for babies without you, a child around <laughs> you know the, the the thing is chris is clearly onto something and i can remember an ex of mine who was a musician who shall remain nameless for this conversation but she used to make up these really crazy dumb songs this was be before she had kids and i would say to her like the money is in the kids market the, um, yeah. that's where the money is because if you can hit in that market oh my yes. gosh no and been speaking of streaming platforms like the children's music like dominates my algorithm so it's only recommending like raffi and baby beluga so yeah no we listen to it all day everything like, it gets more plays in my household than anything else when my kids were little they're, they're 18 now have 18 year old twins they might be giants came out with a kids record and i don't know if you have that or if it's sort of past it for your generation of kids but man they, they i think they did more business on that than they'd done on a lot of their you know regular studio albums and i was very impressed that they did a tour a few years ago as well where they did a set in the afternoon for kids with their parents and then in the evening in the same venue they did a rock show as well that's so cool i will definitely seek that album out i haven't heard that but yeah i'm always on the look for good new children's music as well. yeah exactly that's your main <laughs> that's your main hunting these days yeah, yeah. casper baby pants by the way folks if you want to check it out baby pants music Dot com. I've Good just plug, been looking yeah, at the yeah. photos. It's fantastic. It's, it's great. Yeah, man. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. We're just about out here. I've got one more question, which I always ask at the end of it, as we wrap up, I don't know what, 30 minutes of, of hanging out. Um, how do you feel this? What is it? It's a Wednesday afternoon in Los yeah. Angeles, it's probably 95 degrees outside, but how are you feeling right now? Great. Really enjoyed talking to you, Nick. And I know that things are crazy in the world right now, but I'm staying optimistic and conversations like this always make things feel better. Such a great pleasure talking with you, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening. The Sound of Success is produced by Elizabeth Thompson with myself, Nick Harcourt, for Spark Network. Our theme music is by Keita Klain. For more episodes, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at sparknetwork.com.